So I think one of the most frustrating and infuriating lessons I have been learning over the past probably six years particularly is how thoroughly an upper echelon of grotesquely wealthy individuals and corporations control our nation and our world and how little there is that I can do about it (laughs) to change that. A significant reason that both Donald Trump and Vladimir Putin have power in our nation and in our world is because they have both served the purposes of an oligarchy. And I believe that that term oligarchy should be used for the U.S. as well as Russia. The definition of oligarchy is government by the few, or a government in which a small group exercises control, especially for corrupt and selfish purposes. Think of how much power and influence is concentrated in the hands of Mitch McConnell, Joe Manchin, Rupert Murdoch, Jeff Bezos. Just think of even just those four for our lives, how much power and control they have. Now, I clearly have a lot of contempt for this oligarchy. At the same time, however, Much of the reason they get away with it is because they are icons of the values of our society and our world. Listen to these words of insight from Frederick Buechner, an author and also a Presbyterian pastor. He writes, Worldly wisdom is what more or less all of us have been living since the Stone Age. It is best exemplified by such homely utterances as, you've got your own life to live. Business is business. Charity begins at home. Don't get involved. God helps those who help themselves. Safety first, and so forth. Until something goes horribly wrong, and inflicts massive pain and suffering, like what is happening in Ukraine right now, these men are otherwise held up as images to emulate, icons for praise. And yet for those of us in the church, these are not icons to hold sacred. And God helps those who help themselves isn't even biblical let alone gospel. Jesus calls us to a life radically subversive toward the wisdom of the world. Our crucial icon is the Son of God, Jesus, executed by the powers of the world, crucified on a cross, or as Beekner elaborates, God shows us a man who gave his life away to the extent of dying a national disgrace without a penny in the bank or a friend to his name. 
In terms of human wisdom, he was a perfect fool. And he is our icon. He is our icon and our gospel is that this man, Jesus, gave his life to reconcile us to God, that we will give our lives to reconcile with one another as well. In this world, at this moment, as much as ever, this life that God calls us to live is difficult to live. And so God gives us images for inspiration. This morning, our main text is one of the most profound pictures of the gospel in all of Scripture. The action of Jesus, in and of itself, done by any person, would have been a generous act of humility. Verse 3. Uh, excuse me. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was going to God. Uh, so he got up from the meal took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. William Barclay gives us, a, William Barclay, a Scottish pastor and biblical scholar from the 20th century, gives us the essential background for this act. He writes, the shoes that ordinary people wore were sandals. And these sandals were simply soles held on to the foot by a few straps. They gave little protection against the dust or the mud of the roads. For that reason, there was always uh, great water pots at the door of the house, and a servant was there with a pitcher and a towel to wash the soiled feet of the guests as they came in. But in Jesus' little company of friends, there were no servants. Dale Bruner, who is a contemporary biblical scholar, adds a little um, colorful depth to this picture. He writes, foot washing involved washing off not just dust and mud, but also the remains of human excrement, which was tipped out of houses and into the streets, and animal waste left on country roads and town streets. We've all probably been there before when you take a wrong step into something that you don't like. And if you're in sandals, particularly flip-flops or something, ugh, it's just disgusting. So again, even if Jesus had been simply one of the disciples, this would have been a beautiful image of serving others. But John is quite clear to remind us of both the status of Jesus and the context of this gathering. Again, Jesus knew that the Father, God the Creator, had put all things under his power and that he had, Jesus had come from God and was returning to God. That's the status and the context for this. This is, Jesus is the one whom God anointed to rule the world. 
the cosmos. In fact, actually, that's the word for world that's used here, the Greek word cosmos. And Jesus was about to leave all of the muck of this world. And essentially the last thing he does is wash the feet of his disciples. This act of of menial service was one of the reasons why Jesus became so associated with that Hebrew First Testament passage that we had from Isaiah, what came to be known as the suffering servant. The servant grew up before God, a scrawny seedling, a scrubby plant in a parched field. There was nothing attractive about him, nothing to cause us to take a second look. He was looked down on and passed over, a man who suffered and who knew pain firsthand. One look at him and people turned away. We looked down on him, thought he was scum. Who else would wash the muck off of people's feet? Jewish servants couldn't even be made to do that job. It was considered so lowly. And this is what Jesus does as his, one of his last acts for his disciples. One of the ancient church leaders beautifully captures the near incomprehensibility of Jesus's action. He writes, he, he who wraps the heavens in clouds wrapped around himself a towel. He who pours the water into rivers and pools tipped water into a basin. And he before whom every knee bends in heaven and on earth and under the earth knelt to wash the feet of the disciples. Can you picture Mitch McConnell doing this? Joe Manchin? Rupert Murdoch? Jeff Bezos? Can you picture Donald Trump or Vladimir Putin doing this? Still, no matter what our status This is the image that God gives to us to inspire us as followers of Christ in our way of living. Jesus says it himself. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than their master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent them. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Leslie Newbigin, who was a former bishop of South India, brings out an important nuance in what Jesus just said. Newbigin writes this. What are the implications of what Jesus has done and said? If Jesus had said, since I have washed your feet, you must wash my feet, then 
we would be fighting with one another for the privilege of being first with the basin and the towel. Then, if that is what Jesus had said, the old order of preeminence would have been restored, thinly disguised under the name of service. The chief minister would have become the old ruler under a new name. But Jesus says something which negates that possibility. You ought to wash one another's feet. This is something which subverts and replaces all normal patterns of authority. It would be impossible to draw a management chart in which A is subject to B and B is subject to A. Yet that is what is called for. The disciples are to be literally servants of one another. Knowing this story of what Jesus did for his disciples, this story and especially Jesus's allowing himself to be crucified, prompted Paul to write our New Testament passage to encourage all of us, all followers of Jesus. When he wrote, if you have gotten anything at all out of following Christ, if his love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favor. Agree with one another. Love each other. Be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. Think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave, becoming human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death and the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. And then it was only then that he was exalted and lifted. Our world is full of too many other icons and images that lead us to destruction and death. Our story this morning from Jesus's life is one of the many that God gives us to inspire true life and peace and joy. And there are many other pictures of this life that God calls us to, even in the midst of the worst of this world. Some of you uh, likely saw such a picture this past week on social media. I saw it on Twitter on Wednesday. It's a still life image, uh, a picture of a Russian soldier standing next to a Ukrainian police car. The soldier has surrendered and is about to be taken away in custody. But he stands there with a cup of hot tea in one hand and a, a roll sandwich of some sort in the other. And in front of him stands a Ukrainian woman 
holding her cell phone in a way that the, the soldier can look into the screen. The words accompanying the picture explain the image. A Russian soldier surrendered. Ukrainians gave him tea, food, and let him call his mother on video. I saw this picture retweeted from a Christian leader I follow, Shane Claiborne. He framed it all with these words. This is how you heal the world. Then he quotes Paul in Paul's letter to followers of Christ in Rome. If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. That is the gospel. Pictured in real life. In the worst of real life. I know it can seem like there is not much we can do alone, at least, to change the world. But together, when we live the life that Christ calls us to, life as Jesus revealed to us in the washing of his disciples' feet, as revealed in the way that the soldier was given food when he was hungry, we can make it better at least for some and then leave the rest to Christ. God gives us pictures of the gospel to inspire us and we can help be the inspiration for others by being pictures of the gospel ourselves. Thanks be to God.